You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew, or not Matthew, I don't know where that came from, from 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 is we are bringing an end pretty quick here, Lord willing, one more week to this amazing book of 1 Peter as we study, have been studying through this basically verse by verse, line by line, taking time and sometimes just examining one verse. Today we're going to look at a few more verses from this amazing book. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, it was a year ago this past Sunday that we held our very last Sunday service, our last gathering at the Cineplex Theater. A year ago this past Sunday, COVID-19, in the days previous, was declared by the World Health, World Health Organization, I guess it was, uh, declared COVID-19 to be a worldwide pandemic. In that week, we watched major sports leagues being shut down. Schools started to close. People were asked to stay home from work. Restaurants and businesses started to close. And as we all seem to enter, especially here in Canada and in much of the world, a period of lockdown or shutdown. That was a very strange Sunday a year ago today. And you'll see pictures here. This was of that last service, and that was our our last service, but it was also our first live stream service that we had available And as many still showed up for the service, many did not, and were able to watch from home. And then that next week, we transitioned to a fully online church service. Now, to be honest with you, I was a little concerned that our service might resemble this. (laughs) And, and, And that joke was going around a year ago, and that concern, I think, of all the pastors and I was just, uh, and all of us, we have been so thankful to Brett and to the worship team and the tech members who set up at First Mennonite. We never missed a Sunday. And even here you get to see some of the progression of our Sunday services and what we were able to be able to continue to keep doing. Now, we thought this disruption, this shutdown would just last for a few weeks, um, we kind of thought maybe it would last maybe, maybe a month or two at the most. I, I remember even um, George, one of the men in our church, uh, who, who said by Mother's Day or by, um, uh, yeah, I believe it was Mother's Day, he says, we'll be back meeting again, and I loved hearing that. And, 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 and then we thought, well, maybe it will take a little bit longer, and it did seem to take a little bit longer. And what a year it's been, hasn't it? We've seen truck drivers and grocery store workers declared essential workers, along with medical police and firefighters. We watched and perhaps even contributed to the hoarding of toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and masks. And sadly, we've seen economic, widespread economic ruin, bankruptcies, unemployment, and yet there are some sectors in the economy that during this time have been booming. We've seen unrest and protests and riots and Black Lives Matter and divisive, a divisive USA election. We've seen bankruptcies and unemployment and massive government debt, not just in Canada, not just in North America, but around the world. We've seen anger and frustration and battles over masks and vaccines. 
and, and, uh, and, and in this past year, certain existing or even new words or new terminology have all of a sudden become commonplace in our vocabulary, vocabulary and our conversations. Things like a year ago, if we would have said some of these things, we were like, huh, what are you talking about? You're talking a different language. I have no clue what you're talking about. Things like, you need to flatten the curve or social distancing or Zoom meetings, or household bubbles, or a second wave, or variants, or PCR tests, or CERB, or woke, or Antifa. All of these different things that, that some of them just kind of appeared this past year, or have just kind of grown and been personified. It's been a year filled with loss, division, Battles, confusion, anger, anxiousness, frustration, and a lot of hurt. There's been isolation that has taken place. Some people have not been able to see family members or friends for a very long time. And people have not been able to properly mourn the loss of loved ones in the way that we once needed and, and, and even still believe is still so important. Today, a pastor in Alberta continues to sit in jail. And by the way, I've heard that the prison warden and the inmates love him. And I believe there's going to be many incredible stories that will come of people finding Jesus Christ there in that jail in Edmonton. A year ago, this Sunday, we never would have thought any of this could have happened. And then there's been the actual or the attempted or the thoughts of suicides that have just skyrocketed, overdose deaths, made medical assistance in dying, have all skyrocketed, sadly, in our society. Depression, alcoholism, substance abuse, family violence, divorce has increased dramatically. COVID-19 has been God's megaphone to this world, showing us and declaring that our hope cannot be in the things of this world, that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Everything else is shifting sand. And yet, in the midst of this, we can praise God. In the midst of this, we can give thanks, because God has been at work in this past year. God has been, always will be, Faithful, no matter what is going on. There has been great spiritual opportunity in this past year. There's been provision by God. There has been blessing. There has been new life. We've seen baptisms take place. There are new and deepening relationships and connections. And we're seeing much spiritual growth in the lives of many. At the end of the message today, one of our elders will be giving us kind of a little update and just sharing kind of the heart from the elders of this church. And I believe you will be encouraged and inspired to press on. That no matter what happens, that we've seen this and we trust God, that that mission that God has called us to be a part of, it will continue to march on. Now, I would love to be able to declare and say to you today that soon COVID-19 will all be over and life will be back to normal. But let's face it, sadly, on many fronts, things will never be the same again. Politically, economically, socially, Sadly, relationally, this past year has left indelible marks and deep wounds in so many areas of our lives and in society. And the full effects, including the recovery, will be difficult in so many sectors, taking months, years, perhaps decades to recover. And some areas won't, and some people won't. And the warning and the reality from God's word as we look to, to God's word, our source of truth, says that, sadly, we need to, to prepare for it, that there are going to be continued tough days ahead, especially for the church of Jesus Christ, especially for followers of Jesus Christ, for those that truly desire to follow God and his word and to speak truth and to live a life without compromise. The forecast for believers and for churches like that, is one of upcoming coming suffering and difficulty. 
And so how do we respond in all of this? How do we not allow fear and confusion and frustration and division from running and ruling and reigning in our, in our lives? Well, Peter wrote this book, this letter of 1 Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit to Christians in Asia Minor who were suffering and they were struggling, whose present and whose future were incredibly uncertain. And so as he's bringing this letter to a close, he's reminding God's people, he's reminding God's people, stop freaking out. Why? Because that is our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to freak out, to try to fix it on our own, but he's telling us, hey, don't do what comes naturally to you. Stop freaking out. Stand firm in your faith. And here we see there are a number of things that we can and that we must do. I encourage you to write these down. We're going to see three things today from, from, from this passage. First of all, constantly casting our cares. Constantly we are to be casting our cares. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties. I like the King James Version. That's how I first memorized it as a kid. Casting. So I'm going to use the word cares an awful lot today because that just summarizes for me and it really works with casting our cares and this point and everything like that. And so, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. You see, cares, anxiety, worries, they're universal. They're going to hit every one of us, and they are hitting every one of us. And so often, we try to just handle it on our own. I've got this. I just need to roll up my sleeves. I just need to press in, and and somehow we're going to get through this. We're just going to power through this somehow. But sooner or later, something comes along. And something comes along in every one of our lives, a health crisis, a financial storm, a relational struggle, a disaster, an accident, an unexpected or a slow, difficult death of a loved one, or a little virus that can turn an entire globe upside down. Something will come along that is beyond our ability to simply power and navigate through it. It's going to happen. And perhaps you're in that place even right now. And, and, and when it does, we're not going to be able to ignore anymore. We're not going to be able to deflect anymore, suppress it. We just won't be able to resource it with time or money or just work or try harder. No, it's going to come. And Peter says, casting all your cares on the Lord. But you see, so oftentimes, we like to cast our cares in other places and towards other people. We like to cast our cares on others. Maybe it's venting on social media just to get some love, just to get some some help, some encouragement, to get some advice and perhaps some attention. Or we text or email or have coffee or lunch or have a Zoom call with a trusted family member, a friend, a, a, a counselor, a pastor, our small group leader to be able to vent or, or get advice or to get support. And that is so good. We need that. We need that in their lives. I did that this past week. Sent a bit of a fiery text message to some pastor friends of mine, and they directed me to talk to another pastor friend. And we need that sort of thing in our lives. But sooner or later, the tsunami will come, and it will hit each one of our lives. And the finiteness of our strength and our resources that we have within ourselves will be maxed, will be at at the end, and we will have no place else to turn. And we must remember, remember this today, that there is one source, one source that is greater than anything you and I will ever experience or face in this earth. There is one source that can power in and through all things. Notice it says casting all. Underline that word all in your Bible. I trust that you are doing it. Underline all. Casting all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. And please listen to me today if you do not know Jesus Christ in a personal way. If that is where you are at today, I just want you to know you are going to face the tsunamis of life. The storms and the struggles and the battles like we all do. Like we all will in and through this life. But if you do not know Christ personally, if he is not truly your Lord and your Savior, you have ahead of you one of the worst possible fates awaiting 
a human being. And that is to spend an eternity in hell. A place that is described in God's word is a place of torment, fire, with no escape. No chance of parole. But God's word also tells us that God who is rich in love and mercy sent his only son to this earth. He lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death on the cross. He died in your place. He died in my place, taking our sin, taking our shame, taking our past, taking everything we have done, those secret things that no one even knows about. He knows them fully. He knows all things. And he took every one of those upon himself. And he said, I will take your unrighteousness. I will take your sin. And I will give you my righteousness. I will give you my forgiveness. I will give you my mercy. I will give you my grace. And the righteous one there on the cross died for the unrighteous. And that is you and it is me. And he did that so that we could be brought into a relationship with God, his heavenly Father. And because our God does not want anyone to perish, but wants all to come to repentance, to all come to salvation, to all be adopted into his family. But that only happens when we take Jesus Christ and we receive him personally in our lives. You see, not only did he die on the cross, but he rose in victory when we're getting ready to celebrate Easter in a number of weeks. He rose three days later in victory, conquering sin and death. And his victory becomes our victory. And when we place our faith individually in Jesus Christ, we surrender our lives to him, confessing that we have sinned, asking for his forgiveness, and then taking and placing our trust, our lives, our everything, 100%, saying, God, I'm yours, and trusting in what Jesus did on the cross, dying for us, rising again in victory. And when we receive that in our lives personally, we can enjoy new resurrection, life, and power. We can now have a relationship with God, the God of this universe, God, our Heavenly Father, the one who calls us and wants us to cast all of our cares upon him, every one of them. And if you don't know him today, please, I implore you, receive him today. If you have questions or need help, we'd love for you to just fill out the online connection card on our website, and we would love to be able to help you. At the bottom of our website there is a link that you can go on, the story of Jesus, and there is a beautiful description of the gospel and explanation, and we desire to walk with you in this. And, and, and perhaps you're here, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, and yet you are finding yourself often, or maybe I should say, okay, constantly freaking out, constantly being bogged down, burdened, weary, COVID weary. That's something that I think so many of us on the Thursday night prayer night, it was just so evident and, and a number of people verbalized that we're just tired. We're just tired of this. And what are we supposed to do about it? Lament and do all of these different things. No, it says cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. Now, interesting that word cast that you see, casting our cares, casting our anxieties on him, that literally means in the Greek, in the original language, to throw upon, to throw upon, just take it and throw it. And that word throw then means making responsible for. So we're just giving it off and we're saying, it's yours. And what are we supposed to do with all of our cares, all of our burdens, all of the anxieties, the struggles that we're facing? We are to put it all on the lap of our God. We are to give it all to Him. And when we give it all to Him, He becomes actively involved to work it out. And He's going to work it out. He's going to solve it. He's going to care for us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to empower us. And He will do this all for our good. And ultimately, we will glorify Him. But notice it says in verse 6, I kind of skipped over verse 6, if you notice, I kind of started at verse 7, that wasn't by mistake, because we got to understand this, verse 6, in order to cast our cares upon him, verse 6, it says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And this is so important, and we struggle with this. Humble yourself, it says. That means to get low. 
That means to surrender. It means quit being so full of yourself. Quit thinking you can handle, you've got this, you can just buck up and make it through it. No, we are to humble ourselves. It's saying, God, I can't do it. Only you can do it. God, I take my hands off. God, I trust you. God, it's yours. This battle in my mind, this relationship, this struggle that I'm having, this weariness, God, it's yours. But you see, there's a bit of a problem. We love to give things to God, but then we still want to control the narrative, don't we? It's like, okay, God, I give it to you, and here's what I want you to do. And here's the time frame in which you are to do this. Now, I remember a number of years ago, we were serving in a church, and it was a, a, a church situation that we were in that was so difficult. And I remember one Sunday morning before I went to preach, and I was still working on my sermon at the church office. I had a piece of paper in my hand like this, and I literally was crying out to God. And I was crying, and I ended up on the floor. I was on the carpet, and I was just pounding the floor. And I'm saying, God, something's got to change. God, something's got to happen. And tears are running down my face, and God, I can't do this. And as one of my fists was pounding the ground, you know what was in my other hand? It was a piece of paper. It was a piece of paper like this. Because on this piece of paper was everything that I believed and thought that God needed to do in order to fix things. And, and I had the right position, but I still had this in my hand. And I needed to toss that aside and say, God, I surrender. I surrender the plan. I surrender my thinking and all of this. And God, I surrender myself to you. And you see, humility is God's plan for his followers. It is his plan for the Christian life. And either we humble ourselves before God, or He will humble us. We have a choice. It's either humility or humiliation. And if we don't humble ourselves, it says here, humble yourself. But we also know that God opposes the proud. He will humble us one day, eventually. So how do we go about casting our cares? Melden, how do I take what's going on in my life right now and how do I give it to God? How do I transition? How do I give it to him? How do I cast my cares? How do I put it on his lap and not bring it up again? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Look at this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through, by, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What are we supposed to do with what we are anxious about? We are to pray. We are to give it to God. And we take that thought. We take that worry. We take that situation. We take that concern, big or small, tsunami size or just a wee little ripple. We take it, and whether it's 50 or 60 times an hour, that we need to continue to keep giving it to God and casting it onto his lap and say, it's yours. And as we continue to do that, and as we set our minds and our focus on praise, when we set our minds and focus and say, God, it's yours, my hands are off, it will become maybe 20 times an hour, maybe eventually 10 times an hour. And, and as we continue to go, it becomes less and less because we finally, we finally let go and say, God, it's all yours. And we continue to transfer the ownership of that problem, of that fear, of whatever it is that we're facing. We continue to transfer it over to God until, when, until finally it is released and say, God, it's yours. God, show me the way. God, open the right doors. God, give me strength. Constantly casting our care. Second of all, stop freaking out. And second of all, always be watchful in warfare. Look at in verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Folks, we're in a spiritual battle. And the enemy does not fight fair. The enemy is nasty and ruthless. And it's in times of suffering and trials, the devil loves to jump in and overthrow 
our joy, our faith, our confidence in God. He loves to ruin our relationships, divide our churches, ruin our witness for God. And so if he can make our lives miserable, and if he can put some distance between us and God, and distance between us and other people, between us and other believers in Christ, that's a win for the devil. And he says, be sober-minded, meaning be watchful. This is Sober-minded means clear thinking. Don't be intoxicated with the things of this world. Don't be so obsessed with all of the covetous and coveting that we do and the idolatry and the, the love of money and the love of stuff. And, and, and don't be so obsessed because that makes you intoxicated and we are to be sober-minded. When it comes to the wants and the passions of this world, it goes on, he says, your adversary, the devil, prowls, a, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil wants you to do what a lion does to its prey. The devil wants to devour. He wants to destroy. Most of you have probably all have seen a nature show on TV. And what a lion will do to a piece of meat, no matter what version of meat it might be is pretty nasty and pretty fast. Whether it is a mouse or a bird, an antelope, even small elephants, gazelles, even tall giraffes a lion can bring down. But God's word describes the devil as a roaring lion, but he also describes him, and we see him in Genesis 3, as a crafty serpent. And so he has a roar about him, but he also is very subtle and slithers around. He's crafty. And the devil and his demons, they don't know the future. The only thing they know about the future is what we read about in God's word. And they know God's word. They know it very well. And they know what their outcome is. But they don't know the future, future events in our own personal lives. But what the devil and what his demons have done is they know us. They have studied us from the moment we are born. And they know where we are weak. They know our past. They know how to, to, to get under our skin and how the devil and his workers love to just expose our weaknesses. You know how you can just be going along, driving, going about your day at work, with the family, out on a date, whatever it might be, in school, at work, doing whatever you're doing, and then all of a sudden just boom, out of nowhere, this thought. This fear, this hurt from the past, someone or something that you forgave years ago, all of a sudden just hits you in a new way. And all of a sudden, it just, the memories and the thoughts and the anger, it just starts boiling over again. Or a cloud of depression sets in. And just, just like a, a, a prairie thunderstorm, and I don't know if you ever experienced that, when all of a sudden it's just beautiful and all of a sudden kaboom, it, the skies turn just black and gray and, just, and all of a sudden just through the day, just within moments, a cloud of depression just moves in and fills your mind. Suddenly you're driving around or you're going about life and all of a sudden everyone's just a bunch of idiots. All of a sudden, just like that, you snap and just everyone, you're, just, 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 you're on the ropes, you're impatient, you're angry, you're annoyed. I've had all of these things happen many times in my life. Or sometimes, how about you have a dream? Like just a weird, wacky dream. And it, it's someone, you know, in your life, and, and, uh, and something happens in this dream, and it's not real. But then the next time you see them, you kind of have this kind of like enmity towards them, or you just kind of have this, you did this to me in my dream. And it's just like, where are those dreams coming from? And it's vital that we recognize the schemes of the evil one. What a trickster. And how he wants to come and slither around and put thoughts in our mind that we think are our own. And, 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 and then cause us to be devoured. And to devour then one another. And it's vital that we recognize the schemes. Here's five schemes of the enemy. Five schemes of the devil. I encourage you to write them down. The first one is deception. Revelation 12, verse 9 says, Satan is a deceiver of the whole world. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says that, that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. 
He deceives in so many different ways. Through the thoughts that he puts in our minds, through false doctrine, false teaching. He lies about spiritual things that's happening in many churches these days and by Christian, so-called Christian speakers and authors. He loves to take and twist God's word. Loves to make sin look so good or so harmless, not a big deal. Says things like, in our mind and, and, and maybe through others. You know, the Bible is so old. You know, that's not what God meant. That was for that day. That's not for today. You know what? God just doesn't want you to have any fun. And, 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 and this would just be harmless and won't be a big deal. It won't hurt you. The second scheme that he likes to use is accusations. Revelation 12, verse 10, says that he is the accuser of the brethren. You're such a failure. You're such a loser. I can't believe you did that again. God's not going to forgive you on that one. Not after what you just did. No one knows, but God does. And he's not going to let go of that one. He won't forgive you. He's the accuser. And that is so wrong. Those lies that we are being fed Another scheme is temptation, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, Matthew 3 with Jesus. Those things that might or may turn out to, to, to relieve the pressure in our lives. For Adam and Eve, it was for power. It was, you know, you can go ahead and you can enjoy that fruit on the tree. We get tempted to follow into areas of sin, to be a bit of an escape a temporary reprieve from what's going on. Where we're tempted to believe things like wealth and riches or a successful career or a great following of people will somehow satisfy. We're tempted to believe those kind of lies. That they will bring some sort of pleasure. And they will bring pleasure, some of these things in this world, for a season, but never with any true or lasting peace joy or satisfaction. Another scheme that the devil loves to use is division. In Galatians 5.20, the word for devil in verse 8 here in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, the diabolos is a malicious slanderer. The devil loves to stir up discord, bring dissension, cause dissension, factions and fighting, and we have seen so much of this this past year, haven't we? I don't think there is a family a church, a workplace, a classroom that has been unscathed because of the division from COVID-19. I was talking to a pastor friend this week in Ontario, and he made this observation. He said this, he said, distance in not seeing or meeting with others physically can so easily breed suspicion. Isn't that true? That distance, not able to see people, Face-to-face, -face, there is something about closeness and seeing one another. It starts to breed suspicion. And the mind can so easily go to the wrong place, and the enemy is just fueling our mind with all kinds of thoughts of dissension. Trivial things start to become huge, causing great hurt and dissension within families, within churches. This pastor also said that proximity breeds empathy. Proximity, being together with one another, breeds love and care and compassion. It allows us to be able to practice the one another's from God's word. And oh, we pray that soon we will be meeting and worshiping and practicing the one another's very soon. Another scheme that the enemy uses is destruction. John chapter 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John chapter 8 says that he was a murderer right from the beginning. Now, the devil, understand this, the devil cannot take our salvation away from us. When we are in Christ, the effectual call of God is irreversible. But the devil can and will work to destroy our lives, to weaken our testimony for Christ. He wants us so weak, so miserable, so fearful, so powerful, so angry, so divided, that when people look at us and they say, why would I ever want that? Why would I ever want to receive this Jesus? Why would I ever want to go to your church? And how he loves to destroy us. He loves to destroy us personally. 
He loves to destroy families, put a wedge in marriages, loves to destroy and bring dissension and destruction towards church leaders and, you, and, and bring disunity in the body of Christ. So what are we to do? What are we to do? How do we continue on and, and, and stand firm in the fight of faith? How do we do this? He says it in verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith. And as child of God, when, when we are his children, we have, a, we have powerful weapons at our disposal. And here is how we are to use these weapons. Here is how we are to resist him and stand firm in the faith. And we do this not by having to go to some sort of classes on the supernatural, nor are we to go around binding and commanding him and taking the authority away from from Satan. We're not told to do that in God's word. Never does it say go on the attack to go after him. We are told here, we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, we are to stand firm. Here it says, resist him, firm, stand firm in the faith. And how do we stand firm? How do we resist him? Write these down. We do this by standing with truth. We stand, we resist with truth. Standing in the truth of God's word. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5, this is a key verse, write it down. Write it down because it says, for, the, for though we walk in the flesh, we're walking around in this world, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so when thoughts come into our minds... When we hear things about people that we're not sure if they're true or not because it's gossip. Or, or thoughts come into our minds and, 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 and the war is waging in our heads. We need to take and we need to test everything with the word of God. When we hear teaching, we need to test it with the word of God. And if those thoughts and those ideas exalt themselves against the knowledge of God meaning it doesn't line up with what God's word has to say, we get rid of it. We get rid of it and we continue to cast it off. I like the old saying, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in it. And that's so true. We're going to have the bombs coming in from the enemy, but we don't have to let it stay there. We need to, we need to know how to use and know and memorize God's word so that it is there, ready and waiting for us. I saw this great reminder on social media this past week. It says the Holy Bible, the Bible, uh, Bible use can become habit-forming. Regular reading can cause loss of anxiety, fear, and a decreased appetite for impatience and anger. Symptoms include increased love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if these symptoms persist, just praise the Lord. That is why we need to know the Word of God. Because it changes how we think and how we view things. And so we resist with the Word. We, we, we resist the onslaughts of the enemy. We resist with prayer. James 4, 8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. When the devil sees that his attacks drive us to prayer, he's going to be a lot more careful about his attacks if he sees that it's sending us closer to God, when we are being drawn closer to God, when he sees that, hey, we're part of a church that desires to pray and, and, and these items are going to get prayed about, he's not going to like that very much. We resist with spiritual armor. Ephesians chapter 6, daily clothing ourselves with the armor of God. How important that is. And, and for an example, Ephesians 6 talks about the breastplate of righteousness. And that righteousness means that when we place that on, it is a declaration that I'm desiring to obey the truth of God's word. But as soon as I'm unrighteous and I allow unrighteousness to have a, a, a place in my life, in my actions, in my attitudes and I'm living in areas of, of known sin in my life or unconfessed sin or disobedience, 
suddenly that breastplate is off and, it's, and, and it makes us vulnerable in the battle. And so daily we need to be placing on that armor. We need to be putting on that breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel over and over again. But then we also resist knowing that we're not alone. Our last one, we resist knowing we're not alone. And, and, and we get this right out of 1 Peter chapter 9, the last part, or chapter 5, verse 9, the last part, it says there, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, the enemy lo- loves to isolate, thinking we're all alone. And that's why it's so important. And, and here, Peter's reminding him, hey, you have brothers all over the world. You have brothers and sisters in the body of Christ facing the exact same thing that you're going through. And the enemy, though, with his isolation, makes us think we're the only loser going through whatever it is that we're going through. And that's why we need to draw strength and encouragement from one another. That's why groups are so important. If you're not in one, you've got to be part of one, where you're able to talk and share and confess and encourage and bless one another. And the last way that we can stop freaking out and stand firm in the faith is by trusting. Trusting that in time, there will be triumph. Look at what it says in verse 10. And it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What a promise we have here from God's word. This is what God promises to do. The God of all grace has all the strength needed for us to victoriously navigate whatever the devil throws at us. Whatever this this roaring lion desires to do, our God will strengthen us. Our God will see us through the tsunami, through the storm, through the difficulty. And God can and He will use every trial, all of our suffering. He will use the attacks. He will use COVID-19 to mature and strengthen and establish and prove and refine us. Is he doing that? Or are you freaking out? Or are we casting our cares upon him? Are we being watchful in the warfare? Are we trusting that in time as we hold on to God? He's going to bring us through. Listen, you need to listen. This is important. When we are being attacked by the enemy, and we are facing these trials, and we are facing these attacks, listen, we are being personally perfected by God. In and through this, he has allowed it, and he will see us through it. And through it, while we're in it, may it send us to the feet of Jesus, where eventually he will restore and strengthen, establish, and confirm us. What a promise. And when we understand this, the spiritual battles, the warfare that we are fighting, We can actually learn to appreciate it as we understand it, that God is using it and we won't resent it. Instead, it will be like Joseph in Genesis 50, where where it says what what man meant for evil, what the enemy would want to use for evil, God can use it for good, even the salvation of many souls. And this past year has been one of testing, one of great spiritual attacks. What are we doing about it? Are we freaking out? Are we going to continue to freak out? Are we going to continue to, to allow the thoughts and all the news and all of the social media and that to continue to confound and to fill our minds? Or are we going to fill it with truth, casting all of our cares upon him? Being people of the word, trusting that he's going to use it all for his good, for our good and for his glory. And for us as a church, we've been feeling it. We've been feeling it in some negative ways. We've been feeling and experiencing God's good hand in and through this. And yet it is in this time that God has been at work. He's been leading and guiding and he's been providing for our church. And Jason Rofi, one of our elders, is going to share with you a bit of an update. Some of the ways that we have seen God at work at Hope Bible Church. How we desire to stand firm and how we desire to press on firm in the faith in our church, in our lives personally. Hi, I'm Jason Rofi, one of your elders here at Hope Bible Church Kelowna and your current board chair. Today, I want to share with you some of the wrestle, the struggle, 
the celebration and direction that your elders have been walking, waiting, experiencing, and praying through this past year. As you all know, the news of COVID-19 in spring 2020 changed the way we gather and meet to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It moved us out of the movie theater and the big comfy seats into smaller groups in various locations across the valley from Oyama through to West Kelowna. And whether God caused this or allowed it, he is using it. We as the elders of Hope Bible Church believe that this gathering in smaller groups across locations is God-directed and ordained, regardless of the surrounding circumstances as to why. And that this change in the way we gather is the future for Hope Bible Church. Even when we can meet again in groups of greater than 50, for the months we were able to meet at the various locations from Oyama to West Kelowna, we saw people have new opportunities to serve and high-value opportunities of discipleship and walking with one another. We saw people enjoy a renewed passion for evangelism, wrestling with ways to meet neighbors, engage the communities that we were meeting in and gathering. We saw people get to know one another and get to know God better. We also believe that the online gatherings are here to stay. When we look back and see God's provision in the gifted and talented group of volunteers and staff that allowed us to pivot to online services, we can do nothing but give him the glory and praise. Like many other organizations and businesses, we're convinced that online services are here to stay. However, before we can even meet for corporate worship on Sundays, I want to encourage you to not abuse these online services or use them out of laziness and instead use them as a tool on social media to share with friends, co-workers, and distant family, or to attend church when you are on vacation if there is not a biblical church in that spot. Even right now, we have an encouraging online congregation in cities across Canada and even other countries like the US, Mexico, India, and we praise God for all of it. Finally, we believe that the gospel must be first and foremost. Many of you heard at the plant conference that the gospel does not change. We can change our context, how we approach people, but we must never change the gospel. And so, with some churches in BC remaining closed, others preparing to potentially open doors later this month, with or without permission from the health minister, with Pastor James Coates standing in Alberta making headlines, I'm sure you are wondering too, what is next for Hope Bible Church? What are our elders doing, if anything? And I want you to know, since the beginning of COVID, we as elders have been deeply wrestling, praying, listening, seeking wise counsel, taking steps like the food drives, the Christmas drive-in services, the January prayer focus, and the in-person gatherings and then starting all over again with prayer. We have been meeting at least three times a month over the last year, looking to the word of God, you and the health of the flock, considering our context and praying, wrestling with how to biblically respond to current events, rules, laws, mandates, and regulations. Did we get it all right? Not a chance. But where we didn't, we paused, looked at the word of God, the health of the flock, prayed, considered our context, and took another step, trusting in God's leading, guiding, and sovereignty. It's not an easy job, but it's a rewarding one, one where we get to see God work firsthand in our own hearts, then in the elders' board collectively. You would have heard us call this plurality, then in your hearts, individually, as you gather in groups, in person, or on Zoom. As you gather on Zoom to pray Thursdays and as the church, the bride of Christ. So what are we doing? We are emphasizing the word of God. We're looking at the health of the flock, my health, your health, the health of Hope Bible Church, Kelowna, and focusing on discipleship. We desire to see us all hungry for the word of God, losing track of time as we spend time in the word of God each day. We desire to see the demand for group time so great that we have our current leaders leading two or three groups and have maturing folks stepping in 
to relieve the demand as God matures and provides. We desire to see sacrificial giving of time and money and resources, all for the desire to go and spread the gospel, planting more churches. We desire to gather again in groups of 50 to 100 in various locations for corporate worship Sunday mornings. If it's not clear, let me be abundantly clear. Spend time in God's word daily, one-on-one with him. Get into a group, gather in deeper, authentic, vulnerable community with one another. Be transparent before your group and the Lord. Pray individually in groups on Thursday night via Zoom. As God works in us through the above, and we anticipate the day of one day soon meeting, we trust that meeting together in person for corporate worship and multiple gatherings will happen. Just know that the context is changing as we move from the movie theater to multiple locations across the valley. I've been stuck in Colossians over the past couple months, finding myself planted on a word or verse from God and just reveling in the moment. Last week, it was verses 3, 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul reminds us here that if we call ourselves Christians, we are to seek the things above, Christ himself, seated at the right hand of God and not on the things on this earth, like jobs, social media posts, and what your neighbors think, for our life is with Christ in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Just thank you for the life that we have in Christ, in our Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, that we have turned from our sins and accepted Christ as our Savior and that our future is secure in you, God. And God, we give thanks and praise that you are sovereign, that we can trust that you have caused or allowed all things. Lord, events and circumstances, all the things around us can change, and yet you prevail in mercy and grace. And we give you thanks and praise for that. Lord, this morning, I pray for each one here. God, for wisdom, for discernment, for peace, Lord. As we make decisions in our families, in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in the church, decisions to live for you, Lord. And I pray for unity, God, that as we gather in groups throughout the week, as we gather to pray before you, Lord, as we gather in corporate worship, Lord, that we would fix our eyes upon you and Jesus Christ. Amen.